The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Caleb Benjamin, Internet Lawfare, with an episode from the Lawfare Archive for October 21st, 2023. This week, Polish citizens voted to oust the incumbent Law and Justice Party. While Law and Justice won the largest share of votes, the far-right Confederation Party, its potential coalition partner, garnered only about 7% of the votes. Three opposition parties that had vowed to restore democratic standards, led by Donald Tusk's Civic Coalition Party, won over 54% of the votes combined, putting them in a position to take power. For today's archive episode, I picked an episode from July 7th, 2018, in which Benjamin Wiss sat down with Radek Sikorski to discuss the removal of several judges from Poland's Supreme Court, their replacement with several party loyalists, and the larger degradation of Polish governance. Benjamin Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, July 7th, 2018. It's been a bad week for Polish democracy, with the government removing a bunch of judges from the country's Supreme Court in order to replace them with party loyalists. In response, protesters took to the streets to push back against the deconsolidation of Polish democracy. Joining me to discuss this week's events and the larger degradation of Polish governance that they're a part of is Radek Sikorski. Radek served as foreign minister and defense minister of Poland, speaker of the Polish parliament, and he ran for president some time back. He has also been a visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, and he's currently a senior fellow at the Center for European Studies at Harvard University as well as a distinguished statesman at the Center for Strategic and International Studies here in Washington. It's the Lawfare Podcast, episode 327, Radek Sikorski on the week's events in Poland. Radek, let's start uh, with what happened this week in Poland and how it situates in the larger decay of democratic governance in Poland. What's happened in the last few days is that the president of Poland has sent the um, head of the Supreme Court a letter saying that she's been um, retired. And uh, this is odd because she was only uh, appointed four years ago, whereas the Constitution explicitly says that the term of office of the chairman of the Supreme Court 
is six years. Uh, the government's uh, argument is that uh, you can't be uh, the chairman if you're not a judge, and you're not, you're not a judge once you've been retired. But it seems to go directly uh, against a, a specific uh, article of the Constitution. And which article is that? And and w- what would be the normal expectation of the the tenure of a Supreme Court justice in Poland? The, the, the whole um, law, which is forcing several uh, Supreme Court judges into uh, retirement at 65 is questionable because arguably uh, senior judges like that uh, should be very experienced senior people. And as far as I know, in your country, judges um, work until uh, much later. Uh, so 65 seems a very arbitrary uh, thing to do. And the government is pretty explicit about it. They want, they say they want to get rid of judges who spent even uh, a few years of their the early careers in the 1980s, which is to say in the last decade of communism. Uh, and uh, that seems to be very radical. It's, uh, and it looks like a political purge. You say it looks like a political purge. Is that the objective here, or or is there some construction of it that is uh, more generous than that? The the person actually leading the country now uh, is Jarosław Kaczynski, the uh, chairman of the ruling party, Law and Justice, the uh, twin brother of the deceased uh, former president of Poland who died in the Smolensk crash. And he has uh, said very explicitly that he wants to uh, purge Polish elites, which he regards as corrupt and and having roots in post-communism. And this has been done very thoroughly. Uh, One of the first things the new government did was to abolish the civil service, which is to say abolish competitive examinations to be civil servants. And about 10,000 people in the army, in the in diplomacy, in the prosecution service, in um, security services, and in state-owned companies have uh, so far been um, expelled, uh, replaced by party loyalists. Talk about the reaction to the move against the Supreme Court. The uh, There have been significant street protests. Uh, people seem to be reacting to this in as something beyond what uh, the law and justice uh, Kaczynski movement has sought to do before. How big an escalation is this in your estimation? There there were these protests before because there were instances of breaking the constitution before. Uh, One of the first things the new government did was to uh, pack against the rules uh, the Constitutional Court, which is a separate institution in Poland. And it's now um, staffed with party loyalists, which means that Poland doesn't have judicial review of legislation, that you can, in effect, change the Constitution by an ordinary bill, uh, because the Constitutional uh, Court will just say it's okay. And then um, the Justice Minister gave himself the right to appoint c- court presidents, He also became the chief prosecutor, which wasn't the case um, uh, under the previous government. The uh, chief prosecutor was an independent, non-political figure. 
the assault on the Supreme Court is seen as the completion of the uh, process of subjugating the judiciary. And it's particularly egregious because the Supreme Court and its president have um, two specific functions. Number one, they pronounce the legality of a general election. And also the president of the Supreme Court is, all, is the president of the state tribunal before you can uh, try politicians who've broken the constitution. So if you replace that person with a party loyalist, uh, you are getting two uh, further important political leverages. The country that everybody compares Poland's uh, situation to these days is Hungary. I'm interested in your reflections on that comparison. Is the situation in Poland as bad as as uh, under Orban in, in Hungary, or is it sort of ineluctably on that road, or are there opportunities available to arrest the sort of democratic decline that we're seeing? The similarities are not accidental, because Chairman uh, uh, Kaczynski regularly meets Viktor Orban and studies um, his playbook. Uh, and so, for example, this trick of retiring Supreme Court judges was done in Hungary too. Um, it's happening faster in Poland, and the difference is that uh, the Hungarian ruling party, Fidesz, has actually more support. Uh, so it was able to change the constitution legally, whereas in Poland, the ruling party got 38% of the vote, which normally doesn't even give you control of parliament and therefore the right to um, form the government without a coalition partner. Uh, this has happened by a fluke. And uh, it certainly doesn't give you the right to change the constitution. So the constitution, instead of being changed, is being broken. But that would imply that the uh, the situation is not stable, as in, uh, you know, eventually uh, Kaczynski and his party will have to face the electorate. At, 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 at what point do people have a real opportunity to weigh in on all of this electorally? And to what extent do they care about these uh, abstruse issues? We shall see. We have an election marathon kicking in uh, this autumn, uh, regional elections, which are important because they, we now suspect the opinion polls are not uh, accurate anymore either because there's a little bit of low-level fear in Poland. It is assumed that these elections will still be honest in the sense of uh, the counting of votes. The democratic ecosystem has been uh, spoiled. Uh, for example, Poland's uh, public media are completely under the thumb of the ruling party. Imagine if NPR was taken over by, by Breitbart, and you get the picture. But we have a uh, we have regional elections uh, this fall, then then European elections in the spring, parliamentary elections in the fall of 1919 and then presidentials uh, in the spring of 2020. So quite an electoral marathon. And the ruling party is already changing the electoral law to suit its purposes. You said there's a certain level of low-grade fear. Uh, talk about that. What is the, I mean, you're a, a former senior a minister in prior Polish governments. What What is the atmosphere that as affects both ordinary people, but also, you know, opposition political figures. 
several opposition uh, politicians have been charged, and in some cases the charges don't look convincing. But what I think is more significant is that about a thousand people have been charged with petty crimes to do with demonstrating against the government. So you step with one foot over the uh, limit of the demo, or you use uh, one swear word, or uh, you shout at a policeman, or you do something petty like that, and you are charged, which never was the case before in Poland. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of people are being harassed, and, uh, and, and I think the hope of the authorities is that uh, others will be deterred. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Lawfare listeners, Ben Wittes here. want to tell you about the first time I got a report from the folks at Delete Me. It was shortly after I started using the service back in 2022, and they sent me their first privacy report. I have since gotten eight others, and it contains some shocking information. They had removed my data from 56 separate data brokers, that this had included 133 separate records, including 621 individual pieces of personal information. Uh, The data broker with the most information about me was a company I'd never heard of called People by Name. And here's the thing. Since then, every couple of months, I've gotten another privacy report from Delete Me and it always contains more information that they have removed from the data brokers about me. In the second report, they informed me they had removed my stuff from 41 data brokers and that the one with the most information about me was called HLEC. I have no idea what HLEC is. So the other day, I got my latest report and it includes 15 more data brokers with my personal information, 113 pieces of personally identifiable information. Big culprit this time is something called my life. Well, I want to tell you that they don't have my life anymore. And that is why I recommend Delete Me. As this little anecdote shows, there's a lot of my data out there. And these companies keep 
acquiring it and making it available to anybody who can pay. And I have uh, slept a little bit more easily ever since I found a, a solution to this problem. And I want to stress, as I do every time, that I started using this before Delete Me started advertising with Lawfare. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays off. And that's the point of this little story that, you know, they keep coming back. You can get it removed once, but they'll put it back. And then Delete Me comes and takes it off again. It's a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential identity theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports, just like the ones I've been describing, showing what info they found where, where they found it, and what they removed. And critically, as this story reflects, it isn't just a one-time service. It's always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you don't want on the internet. It does all the hard work of wiping you and your family's personal information off the web. Data brokers hate Delete Me, which is why I like it. Your profile is no longer theirs to sell. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20 and use promo code lawfare20 at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20 and enter code LAWFARE20 at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash LAWFARE20, code LAWFARE20. You know, a lot of people make the comparison between, including you know, our, our mutual friend David Frum, between the Trump movement and Viktor Orban and uh, Kaczynski. To what extent do those parallels have salience for you when you look at the populist movements in this country right now versus the populist movements of Eastern Europe? To what extent do you buy the kind of there's a sort of global authoritarian populist thing going on? And to what extent does it seem more regionally specific to you than that? I think it's a populist wave that's uh, sweeping the entire Western world. If you look at what they say and what they do, they have things in common. Their leaders claim that they represent not the uh, actual nation composed of citizens, but a metaphysical nation that uh, whose will the leader alone is capable of um, uh, interpreting. Uh, opponents are not uh, competitors, uh, are evil uh, to be eliminated, really. Simple solutions are presented to complex problems. And all, all of these movements uh, actively seek out enemies, both foreign and uh, domestic ones. They are, to my mind, and I don't mean it as an insult, but as a description, national socialists. National in uh, cultural terms, socialist uh, in economic terms. And that seems to be a very powerful combination. It worked to mobilize people before. But of course, we know with what consequences. Radek, you were, if my memory serves, uh, a student 
in the UK at the time of the Solidarity Uprising in the early 80s. You stayed there for a long time. You came back as part of the democratization of Poland. I'm interested in your emotional reaction to all of this. It, I mean, it's an incredible degradation of the governance society that you helped build. And it must also be very scary. What does it look like from the ground there, you know, from the ground of the governance of an emergent democracy that is turns out to be less consolidated democratically than we all seem to understand? Uh, you know, Ben, I spent six weeks in Tora Bora when it was our Mujahideen base against the Soviets under Soviet bombing. Um, so this is not very scary by comparison. It is disappointing because I worked so many years, 14 years in the government to make uh, Poland a more significant country, a more respected country. And, and none of them now gives us any good press or, or any influence in the world. But, you know, on the other hand, I thought uh, that we really were at the end of history, that, that democracy had triumphed and that my sons will have nothing to fight for. Um, and it appears that they will. And, you know, in Poland, I would just like to uh, reassure you and, and those who know us from the past that we've o overcome bigger challenges than, than this and we've brought down worse regimes than this. Your hail fellow, well-met optimism is much appreciated. So I, uh, I'm interested in, in your plans in all of this. You know, you, you have run for president of Poland in the past. You've been foreign minister, defense minister. What is the opposition landscape like from your point of view right now? And do you see yourself playing a future role in it? Well, um, just like in Hungary, uh, the answer to this is very simple. If the opposition unites, they can win. If they don't, they will definitely lose. The reason uh, the current ruling party is doing what it's doing is that three left-wing parties went into the last election separately. None of them made the um, uh, threshold. They were excluded from parliament. And that's why 38% of the vote was enough to gain majority of seats in parliament. So you can never exclude political incompetence as an agent of history. Uh, and I just hope my fellow politicians have drawn uh, the lessons I wish them luck. And I, I hope I, do, I won't have to help them personally um, uh, because I would only do it in extremis. Is there, I mean, I have argued domestically in the United States context that we need to put aside traditional left-right differences uh, which, of course, in the United States is hard because it is a two-party system, which you know tends to accentuate left-right differences. Um, but my understanding of the Polish political landscape is that the the parties are more fractured, and which both creates uh, the problem that you just described, but also a little bit more opportunity for a united opposition uh, in the event that people perceive enough. Uh, joint sense of threat. Do you uh, see much basis for optimism about sort of left-right unity in opposition? Or realistically, is this going to be a left opposition to the Law and Justice Party? Yes, I do. There is already a citizens' coalition, which uh, is conscious of the fact that if 
uh, these, uh, this authoritarian drift is not uh, is stopped, then Poland um, will become a, a bigger and bigger problem as a member of the European Union. It will civilizationally move towards the kind of system that uh, we have in Putin's Russia. And at a time when American involvement in European affairs can no longer be taken for granted, and when the European Union is um, grappling with uh, several challenges at the same time, Poland should be doing its best to stabilize Europe, not to add to its problems. And I think uh, Polish politicians realize this now. Talk about the role of Europe. Europe did nothing to stop the drift of Hungary. On the other hand, uh, the lesson of Hungary may have concentrated some minds in Europe and caused people to look at, at law and justice a little bit differently than they would have had they not had the example of Fidesz before them. Is the Un European Union playing a constructive role here? And could it be doing more? And what would more look like if it were doing it? This is very difficult because on the on the one hand, the European Union is based on member states trusting one another's institutions. So, for example, if a court in one member state issues a European arrest warrant, a court in another member state needs to be confident that this was not a, a political act, but an act of justice. So a member state that um, breaches the um, division of powers or politicizes its, its judiciary is an actual threat to the European Union, to its legal and, uh, uh, integrity. So the European Union has no choice but to get involved. On the other hand, the European Union is a confederation. We agree certain rules in the shape of treaties, and we create joint institutions, but ultimate sovereignty lies in the member states. So there is no higher authority that can bring a member state uh, to book uh, when member states break the rules. And this, in fact, is the original reason why we had first the Eurozone crisis and then the migration Schengen crisis. Member states were cheating on their obligations. I guess the ultimate act of disobedience would be to um, not respect the judgment of the European Court of Justice. A uh, member state that did that would exclude itself from the Union. And there is now a possibility that Poland will actually be sued by the Commission in the European Court of Justice. What would the suit be over and what would be the prospects of, the, uh, of Poland not abiding by the judgment? Poland is uh, under review on two counts, uh, the constitutionality or otherwise of the law to um, retire uh, the judges uh, and the, the Venice Commission, which is to say the Council of Europe, has also heavily criticized general state of rule of law in Poland. And on, on that count, Poland is under review and is potentially threatened with having its uh, vote suspended in the European Union. So there are two parallel processes. Radek Sikorsky, thank you so much for joining us and keep up the struggle. Thank you. My pleasure. Mm -hmm. 
The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Thanks this week to Roddick for joining me on short notice from Warsaw. Our music is, as it always is, performed by the one, the only, Sophia Yan. If you are not doing your part to promote the Lawfare Podcast, shame on you. Get on it. Tweet us, share us on Facebook, and of course, leave us a review on whatever podcast distribution service you use. Our audio engineer this week is Matthew Kahn. The Lawfare Podcast is edited by Jen Patya Howell. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>